Worship tonight was amazing. Worship last night was amazing. I think I'll just come hang out and camp out for the worship. It is uh, really, really special. And I thank you, Relentless. Thank you, Pastor Kyle, for for welcoming, welcoming me, but also for welcoming our CityGate family last night. We had about 30-some-odd that drove down from Savannah at their own, I mean, from Atlanta to Savannah at their own initiative. I didn't ask them to come, didn't expect them to come. And all of a sudden, I started hearing people say, oh, we're coming. And then another one, we're coming. And another one, we're coming. I said, last Sunday, I said, would y'all stand up and let me know who's coming? And 30 of them or more stood up and said, we're coming. And, and I'll tell you why. It's not that they're following me. They're following the vision of seeing our state awakened and transformed by the presence and the glory of God. They're willing to invest their time, their energy, their money, their resources in order to pursue the purposes of God. And I am incredibly honored to lead them um, only by the grace of God. Um, some of you, many of you don't know me. I started CityGate Atlanta in 2010 against, if I can just be real honest, I was kicking and screaming along the way because I said, God, let's just address the elephant in the room. I'm a woman in Atlanta. My husband is a thousand percent behind me, very supportive. People would say, well, how do you know he's supportive? I said, he tithes here. <laughs> okay, he's a businessman. You know, that speaks, right? But God gave me so many prophetic words and people encouraging me that I, you know, at a, at a certain point, even when culture says no, you have to obey God. Who are you going to fear, God or man? And so we stepped out in 2010, and it's been quite an interesting journey, as I'm sure you guys have had here. In fact, I know some of the journey. And see, anytime you step out to go with God, there is a journey you have to walk on that takes you through fire. The songs tonight on fire. I heard Holy Spirit say in the middle of that song, I just want your, I can't even remember the exact words, I want your fire, refiner, I want you. I heard Holy Spirit say, do you know what you're asking? I mean, do you really know what you're asking? And see, sometimes we jump to that and God says, well, wait a minute, do you really know what that's going to cost you? So I'm going to just do this real quick. I don't like doing this part, but I'm going to do it because Sandra told me I needed to. Uh, this is Sandra Lemzer. She's my right-hand assistant, um, prophetic pastoral voice in the house, and takes care of everything so I don't lose everything. That's the real deal. Um, but anyway, I brought a couple of books. I've actually written three. I only have two of them. One of them's out of print and I can't get it, so anyway. But this one is ready for revival. Um, you see the fire on the front, fire seems to be a theme. Um, I wrote this in the year 20, 2000, believe it or not, for the city of Atlanta, a group of pastors and leaders across the city asked me to write it to prepare the hearts of the church for revival. And it is a 40-day journey from God revived my heart. 
to God revive my family? Did God revive my church? Because we all are a part of a local fellowship somewhere. How many of you want, I mean, this, this place is pretty revived and alive, but how much more could there be? And then God revive the church in my city, in my region, in my state. And then God touch the lost, revive the lost, bring them to life because they've not known life. And then it closes the last five days with revive me. And the point of that is that all along the way, no matter what you're doing, no matter how the revival is spreading, how, no matter how God is stirring, awakening in our city, our state, our nation, the world, we have to consistently keep the fire burning here. And we can get so busy that we forget to tend to the altar of our heart. And we'll never have altar fire in a, in a house or in a region if the fire's not burning here. The other one I think I've mentioned here before is the book on corporate armor. And it is, I really think one of the, the aspects of this book that's important as we move into kingdom understanding and into the, the fivefold understanding is I really break down the function of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, and how we work together and how it activates the body to operate apostolically, prophetically, evangelistically, shepherding each other, loving for each other, caring for each other, and being apt to teach so we have the mind of Christ, to study, to show yourself approved. Because, see, it's not just about the five it's about the five activating the all. Okay? And then a freebie. The Lord told Sandra a few weeks ago that we needed to do wristbands for everybody that says, Command the Forward Georgia. Who wants one? <laughs> um, we are all going around and commanding the forward, F O R E W O R D as in the foreword to a book. God wrote a foreword over the United States of America of what his original intent was for our nation. What his intent was that we would, even as Robert Hunt said, that from these shores, this land dedicated to the gospel, get dedicated to God and to the gospel of the kingdom, that the gospel would go from these shores, not just to this land, but to the nations of the world. That's God's forward over our nation. So all these people that tell us that our nation is not a Christian nation, they're wrong. I'm going to say it again. They're wrong. Our founding was that we were dedicated to Christ and to the purposes of God forever as long as the earth exists. That's a long time, and the earth still exists. Therefore, this nation is still dedicated to the cause of Christ. It's being fought, vehemently fought, viciously fought, and it's time for the church to wake up. Georgia was dedicated for the purposes of God. It's who we are. 
We were dedicated to be a place of refuge for those seeking religious freedom. That's who we are. We were dedicated to see the kingdom come. And so as we press on, is everything in our nation good? Does anybody even have to ask that question? And it hasn't been good for a long time, but that does not negate the original intent of God. I want you to take this on a personal journey for a second. Take a look at your own life. Have you always lived to the glory of God? Have you always lived to fulfill God's original intent over your life? Did that negate his original intent? Not at all. And see, it is redemption that if he can take in and reach down and touch your heart and bring you into salvation and bring you into redemption, it's no different for him to touch in and can a nation be born in a day. This is the kind of faith I'm walking in because I've seen what God wants to do in our nation. And the reason and we'll step on some toes probably, but maybe not. The reason our nation is in the mess it's in is because the church sat down and lost our voice and decided, well, this is just the way it's going to be anyway. And I am going to step on toes on this. We're going to get on a big ship and we're going to be out of here and the world's just going to go to hell anyway. Now, I'm not cussing. That's what we believed. But God needs a people in this nation. God needs a people in this state. God needs a people in Pooler and in Savannah that rise up and know who God created you to be. I'm going to take us on a journey. I'm going to finally get to my slides up there. I'm going to talk to us tonight about kingdom fire. Kingdom fire. Who wants to walk in kingdom fire? We're going to look at three passages of scripture. I'm going to go through this first part, hopefully pretty fast. We'll see. Because I want you to see that all through scripture, God deals in fire. And fire consumes, fire purifies, fire refines, and fire melds us together. It does. So let's look at Genesis. We're going to look at the fire in the garden, Moses at Mount Sinai, and the fires of Pentecost. And I am going somewhere with this. Genesis 3.24, I'm reading today out of the Amplified. It says, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So God drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden the cherubim with a flaming sword which turned every way to keep and guard the way to the tree of life. What did he do to protect? Put fire. See, God had to put fire because it, otherwise, what would man have probably gone to do? 
They had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They would have gone and eaten of the tree of life. They would have lived forever in the fallen state. And God said, no, I'm protecting you. I'll make a way. I'm going to get you back there. But I've got to protect you from yourself right now. Otherwise, you're going to be in a mess bigger than you're already in a mess. God's putting a fire in front of us even today to keep us from getting in a bigger mess than we're in. Because what if we went where he told us not to go yet? If we went in a wrong motivation, if we went out of the flesh, if we went out of a, a wrong mindset, what if we went with a false calling do you know that there are people who move in false callings because they want to be who somebody else is? It happens. I told you I might step on toes. Kyle can clean it up next week. <laughs> he knows I love him. It's, it's, it's a, it's, he's like one of my other sons. Um, Exodus 24, 15 through 18 in the message. Now, put this in context. Remember, they have been delivered out of, out of Egypt. They've taken a bit of a journey on their way to the promised land. And then it says in verse, 20, verse 15 of chapter 24 in the message, Then Moses climbed the mountain. The cloud covered the mountain. The glory of God settled over Mount Sinai. The cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called out of the cloud to Moses. Who wants to hear God calling out of the cloud? Come on. In the view of the Israelites below, the glory of God looked like a raging fire at the top of the mountain. Moses entered the middle of the cloud and climbed the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Just let that settle in. Can you imagine being the Israelites down in the valley? And the very man that God used to bring you out of Egypt, cross you through the Red Sea, bring you out, and all of a sudden, he goes up in a cloud, and he's surrounded by fire. That would be scary, wouldn't it? And so sometimes we look at how Israel responded to that moment and we think, well, why didn't they stay faithful? Can I ask us, would we? I mean, really? Because all of a sudden the man they were trusting was gone. And they're, they're wondering what happened. But God had to take Moses up into the fire to bring the revelation of what his plans were, the revelation of who he was, the revelation of his kingdom, the revelation of his rulership. See, when God welcomes you into the fire, it's to reveal something about himself and about his kingdom so that we can come into an agreement with it. See, God doesn't just put it up there just to show off. He wants to invite us into the fire so that unlike Moses who God took and he wrote the, the commandments on tablets of stone, he wants us to come up the mountain of the Lord and let the word of God be written on our hearts, our hearts of flesh. See, God speaks to us through fire. 
And then let's look at Acts. I'm going to read this in, in, the mess, in, in the message as well. The reason I use some different versions is because all of these passages you're used to hearing. And so I throw a zinger in every once in a while in a translation you're not used to hearing because I want, to hear, I want you to hear it with fresh ears. Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the Feast of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place without warning. I love that. Without warning. There was a sound like a strong wind, gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. Then, like a wildfire. Say, like a wildfire. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for some wildfire. Can I just say this? Most of the church has been so afraid of fire, they've put out the fire. They've been so afraid of strange fire, they put out the fire. And they've quenched Holy Spirit. But the deal is, I'd rather have wildfire than no fire. I want fire. I want that passion. So all of a sudden, like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks. And they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. That scares people. It does. It scares people. To be out of control... We are such a control-motivated people. We want everything buttoned up. We want our service buttoned up. We want to know exactly what happens. And I want to say kudos to the team last night because you didn't have a clue what I was going to do. You know why? Because I didn't have a clue. Because I have learned through all of these years, Holy Spirit, I'm going to trust you. And if we just stay in one song to another song to another song to another song, I am quite okay with that. But if you want to say something in the middle of it, I'm willing to step out. I'm willing to step into what you're doing so that we can then press and break into the next. See, that's what God is warning. He wants to get us into a place that the wildfire can show up. That doesn't mean it's disorderly. It just means there's, there's power, there's authority, there's a movement, there's the breath of God moving. Because you know what? If we keep doing the same thing we've always done, we're going to keep getting the same results. And you've heard this. You know what the definition of insanity is? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. We've got to have a fresh move of Holy Spirit that blows in, takes us out of our comfort zones, and moves us, as, a, as Clay Nash, a good friend and apostolic leader, says, take us out of our comfort zones and move us into the comfort of God. Now, can I tell you something? The comfort of God will make you very uncomfortable. But when you enter into the comfort of God, he releases a grace on the inside of you to do what you couldn't do the day before. See, moving into the comfort of God took me out of my, oh, I can't lead a church. And he goes, I mean, I'm going to tell you all what the prophetic word I was that I received that finally pushed me in. A lady who's very well known prophetically looked at me and said, I really don't want to deliver this word, but I have to. 
Because God gave me the fear of the Lord that if I don't deliver this word, I'm in trouble. She said, the devil has a plan to kill you. And if you don't get about doing what the father's told you to do, he's going to be successful. Scared the bejeepers out of me. (laughs) But I knew immediately. She didn't have a clue. That's why I could trust the word. She didn't have a clue. But the minute I heard it, I knew exactly what she was talking about. And I said, I I got on a plane. I went up to my hotel room that night, wrestled with the Lord, like, how am I going to do this? He said, trust me. I got on a plane, flew back to Atlanta the next morning, and I said, okay, God, I'll do it. Show me how to walk this out. There were some things that had to be rearranged in my life and in some relationships. I said, God, I'm trusting you. Rearrange these things. Within two weeks, everything was rearranged. I didn't put my hand to any of it. God did it. See, when God calls you and he calls you to do something that's out of the ordinary, keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep listening for what Holy Spirit is saying. And when you don't know how to do something, stop and listen. Don't keep charging. Stop and wait a minute. Now, I wasn't stopping as in not moving forward. I was saying, okay, God, I'm watching to see what you're doing. How are we doing this? And then it started unfolding. And then he gave me a dream of what it was to be called. And he gave all these instructions. You see, it was about me saying, yes, I'll do it your way. Because, see, I had tried to do it my way. And our way never works. But his way does. So next I want us to take a look at Mount Zion. Because we have come to Mount Zion. But a lot of times we don't understand Mount Zion. Yes, it is a place in Israel. But it's more than a place in Israel. Come on. It is more than a place in Israel. That was a place, is a place, but there's more to it than just a place. Isaiah 2, 2 and 3. And Amplified, it says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be firmly established as the highest of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth, what? The law and instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. See, it's not just about going and climbing Mount Zion in Israel. Mount Zion is a spiritual location. It's a spiritual place. It's a place in the spirit that we all come into. The nations are to run to Mount Zion. It's the place of God's government. If I may say it that way, it's the place of God's government. It's his governmental rule on earth. Acts 15. Now let me let me back before I go to Acts 15. Part of what happened at Mount Zion 
is David formed the tabernacle of David. What did they do in the tabernacle of David? Worshipped, right? What else did they do in the tabernacle of David? No. I mean, they didn't sacrifice at the tabernacle of David. They did that down in Gibeah. They prayed. They worshipped. They listened for the prophetic word of the Lord. They scribed it, and they got their strategies of warfare and advancement. It was not just intimacy in worship and intercession. It was government. It was where David got the wisdom of God to know how to govern Israel. We have come to Mount Zion. Are you hearing me? So Acts 15. I'm reading out of the Passion. After these things, I will return to you and raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen into ruin. I will restore and rebuild what David experienced. That's why I ask you, what happened in the tabernacle of David? What did David experience? David experienced the manifest presence of God around the Ark of the Covenant with no veil. We're talking Old Testament. He had a revelation from God that he could come in before the Ark of the Covenant. He had a revelation that God had paid away. And he established 24-7 praise, worship, and adoration. And out of that place, the release of the government of heaven was loose through the prophets, scribed by the scribes, and implemented by David and the armies. We have come to Mount Zion. Verse 17, and this is why the tabernacle of David must be restored. So that all of humanity will be able to encounter the Lord, including the Gentiles whom I have called to be my very own, says the Lord. For I have made known my works from eternity. We want harvest, right? Harvest comes out of an open heaven Produced by the tabernacle of David. Now, the tabernacle of David in our day is not just one location. It's everywhere the people of God gather. It's everywhere. It's where God's taking us. He's shifting us from church to kingdom. So who who can come to the hill of the Lord? Who can come to Mount Zion? Psalm 24, 3 through 6, one of my favorite passages. I believe this is a psalm that God has even specifically assigned over the state of Georgia. Back in the 90s, the Lord said, as I was praying over the state, he said, my covenant name over the state of Georgia is King of Glory. And I've carried that for nearly 30 years. See, if If his name is king of glory, that means we're a place where his glory dwells. 
We're a place where the glory of God is revealed. How is the glory of God going to be revealed? It's going to be revealed for you and me. Because we're to have rivers of living water flowing out of us. And the rivers of living water are what? Glory. It's not going to just come down from a cloud. I'm okay if that shows up too. But the reality is I think the clouds that show up that usher into a room are in response to the glory being poured out of you and me. Especially in a corporate setting. But who's going to be able to go into such a place? And this is another place where the fire is important because the only way we get here is going and passing through the fire of God. Verse 3 says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who is not lifted up his soul to falsehood, nor has he sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, even Jacob. How many of us want to be the generation that seeks God? The generation that's not satisfied to go to church, fill a pew or sit in a chair and just let life come and go. No, but see, the Jacob part of this, I've always gone, God, what is the deal with this is the, those who seek your face, even Jacob. We know what Jacob was. Jacob was a supplanter. He was resisting God. He was told about God. He was just doing his own thing, basically. Anybody else ever been one who's done your own thing? Has God ever gotten any of you and said, okay, enough already? He did me. But see, Jacob was one who finally, when he came to the end of himself, when it looked like his life would be over, see, he had already done all this stuff, but he comes back to this place. He is about to face his brother and probably thought he was going to get killed. I mean, let's put ourselves in his place for a minute, right? And he laid his head on a rock. And many biblical historians believe that that was a rock that came from the altar of the Lord that his granddaddy had built. Think about that for a minute. Think about putting your head on a rock that was an altar to the Lord that Abraham had built. I don't know about you, but that's pretty staggering. See, I believe some of us in this room, there are some rocks on the altars of your past, of past generations, of grandparents or great-grandparents that were radically touched by the Lord. And maybe you and the generation just before you were kind of went the religious way, the church way, and you were satisfied. But all of a sudden, you came to your Bethel. You came to your place of the house of the Lord. And in a proverbial sense, just kind of this place, you laid your head down upon a rock. Anybody else been between a rock and a hard place? God meets us in those places. 
And all of a sudden, where you've said, God, I'll serve you if, which is what Jacob said earlier, at the same place. He wrestled with God and sought him with diligence. And in that time when he wrestled and he came to know God as his God, not just the God of Abraham, not just the God of Isaac, but he became his God. And his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. I mentioned this last night. He went from one who knew about God to one who knew God. And he forever, because of his wrestling with God, he prevailed. I've always pondered that, that Jacob prevailed in his wrestling against God. He didn't let go until God touched him. Some of us need to not let go until God touches us in the socket of our hip. What does that say? In the place of your self-strength. In the place where you're strong, let God touch you. Wrestle with God in that place until you're not moving in your own strength. You're moving in his. When I was 15, I told the Lord I'd do anything he wanted me to do except preach. Anything except speak in front of people. Way back in the day, that many decades and decades and decades and decades ago, I was a singer. I thought I was going to be singing. I was on scholarship. Had all kinds of people encouraging me. And God said, that's not my plan. It was a painful, that's not your, my plan. It was very painful. took me years to get over it because I didn't have the compliant heart to say, okay, God. I didn't know to have a compliant heart, if you all know the truth. But see, I had to allow God to wrestle. I had to wrestle with God until I let go of my dream and embraced his. But see, that's the ones that can go and ascend the hill of the Lord. See, if we're going to bring the kingdom fire to the seven mountains of culture, if I may reword that, if we're going to bring the kingdom fire to our community, if we're going to bring the kingdom fire into Georgia, if we're going to bring kingdom fire into the United States of America, we must first go to the mountain of the Lord that is ablaze with his fire and glory. Because in that place of his fire and glory, everything else gets burned away. Our self-will, our self-decisions, our self-exaltation, our self, 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 self. Fill in self-self-defense, self-promotion, self-advancement. You have to die to all that stuff. It has to get burned up because it doesn't matter. I don't care if anybody knows me or not. I'm going after him. I just don't care. Why does God want to bring us to Mount Zion? Is it just so that we can enjoy his presence? That's a piece of it. But he wants family, right? He wants family, but that's just a piece of it. 
If I were to take us back to Genesis 1, why did God create man? He created man so he could have an outpost of heaven on the earth. What happens when you have an embassy from one nation to another? What do they do? Come on. They represent the nation that sent them, right? So when God created Adam and Eve, placed them in Eden, he said, I am setting you in the middle of my new creation. Now go occupy all of it and make it look like heaven. Why are we here? Why are you here? To have such a revelation of heaven that in everything you do, you are bringing heaven into your domain. Bring heaven into your home. I loved your tithing call earlier, your giving call, because it was about bringing kingdom into your family. It's bringing the glory into your family. It's bringing it into your job. It's bringing it into your neighborhood. It's bringing the kingdom of God into every place you go. You should be such an atmosphere changer that when you walk out and walk in someplace, the devil screams and hungry hearts are awakened. See, we're to come to Mount Zion in order to rule out of Mount Zion. Where does the scripture say we're seated? In Ephesians. Heavenly places. And what do you think you're seated in heavenly places to? Just to have a good front row seat? Sometimes we act like that. Oh, we've got a good vantage point. Come on. We are to rule and reign out of Mount Zion. We're seated in heavenly places with Christ. We are in God with Christ. We are to be on earth as he is in heaven. See, when we rule out of Mount Zion, that is the source of all fire and glory. See, if we're not... Seeing fire and glory out of Mount Zion, we could be like Nadab and Abihu and creating false fire. Selah. See, God's calling us to come up higher. We've got to come into a place that we see from a higher perspective. In our day, in this nation, you better be seeing from a higher perspective. Revelation 4.1 says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard addressing me like the calling of a war trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place in the future. Now this is, I am not going down this pathway in a doomsday end times message. So if that's where you think I'm going, just shake it out of your head. Get rid of it, because that is not where I'm going. See, we have got to learn how to come up here and get heaven's perspective. Because if we just operate out of Fox News' perspective, CNN's perspective your local TV station's perspective, the newspaper's perspective, 
or the conversation with your neighbor down the street perspective? Or you're pontificating with other believers' perspective? Yes, I did just say that. See, we got to have God's perspective. What is going on in our nation? What is God doing? What is God wanting to do? What is he calling us to join him in so that he has a vehicle through which to do it? See, there, we keep asking God to do stuff. And this is how he answered me probably 30-some-odd years ago. He said, stop asking me to do what I told you to do. We ask God to do what he's given to us. See, the scripture says, the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given unto us. We've got to learn how to take that seriously because that's who he created us to be. So come up higher. How do we come up higher? Worship. Shaking off the shackles of our fear, doubts, unbeliefs. Getting rid of the mindsets of the past that kept us earthbound and move into a place, God, I want to understand from your kingdom perspective, I want to understand how your authority works. I want to understand what it means to walk in the authority of the name of Jesus. It's not just about muttering the name. I'm not being dishonoring. Hear me. See, the name represents the character, the nature, and the authority of our God. It's not just a name. It's a name that is above all names. But it's his character, his nature, and his authority that is the name above all names. I'll give you an example of how God taught me this. I walked in, was invited down to a prayer meeting in another part of the state. Actually, it was in another state several years ago, probably 15 years ago. It was an early morning Saturday. I had to get up and drive about two hours to get there, which I was fine, but I left my kids at home. and So it took a Saturday away from family. And I'm willing to do that. But I went to this meeting and she said, I'll have you um, share and bring us into some um, prophetic and some strategic intercession over the, for the next hour. So I had my assignment and I was ready to do when, when, what she asked me to do when she called on me. So I got up from Atlanta, drove two, two and a half hours. I walked in the building and she says, well, um, I'm so glad you're here, but God changed our agenda for today. I thought, hmm, that's interesting. I said, well, what does that mean? I said, I didn't, I wasn't being rude. I just didn't know. And she said, well, I'm not sure you're going to be doing anything. And we'll just see. And I thought, you got me up to leave my house before 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning, and you don't think there's a reason for me being here? But I sat through the meeting. I'm watching. I'm participating. I'm like, okay, I'm not sure what's going on here, but I'm going to keep my heart right. At the very last minute, as we're getting ready to dismiss... She says, we have been so honored today to have Jackie Tyre and another leader from another state here. And 
I went, what was that all about? And then she dismissed us. And here's what Holy Spirit said to me on my, I said, God, what is this all about? What's going on here? He said, she had you come to use your authority as an amen on her event. How many times do we pray our prayer the way we want our prayer to be prayed without consulting Holy Spirit? And then we tap the name of Jesus on the end of it and we think that makes it holy. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't make it holy. In fact, it's a defilement. See, we have to be, we have to understand, we get so religious in our practice that we just automatically say things, and God's saying, what do, you, what do you mean by that? See, a prayer in the name of Jesus is one that is rooted, grounded, and birthed out of his character, his nature, and his authority. It's what is birthed out of heaven and given voice through us. That is in the name of Jesus, whether you tag his name on at the end or not. Religious demons hate it when I say that. Well, you can't pray if you don't say in the name of Jesus. No, be in the name of Jesus. Be in the name. Well, that was a little bit of a diversion, but I think we needed it. <laughs> so we need, we're looking for people to run to the mount of the Lord. We run to the mount of the Lord. We come up higher, we're seated, but then we move into this, and I used this verse earlier, but hear it, and many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. See, folks, we are to be the source out of which the law and instruction comes. We're not to be fashioned by the world telling us how we need to think. Come on. We don't need to be sitting idly by and letting them bring in doctrines of demons into our children. If we don't open our mouth, we're going to lose our kids. We've already lost too many. And not just to the latest agenda. We've lost too many of our kids because we didn't demonstrate kingdom. We taught them churchianity. We didn't let them see the reality of a God that raises somebody from the dead. We didn't let them see the power of the Spirit of God that tra transforms somebody from being a mess to being a message. I was a religious mess. I was raised in church there from the time I was seven days old. Knew Jesus, loved God with all my heart, but I had not a clue what it meant to be who God created me to be. Didn't have a clue. I was serving God with everything that was in me. 
I was teaching kids when I was 16 years old. I was teaching senior, senior adults by the time I was 30. Because there was a call of God on my life. And I was trying to answer it the best way I knew. But it was out of my flesh and not out of the spirit. God in his mercy honored it. But the day came when he said, are you done? See, I think he uses that, are you done, a lot. And we need to get a hold of it. When he says, are you done, he's not asking because he doesn't know. (laughs) He's trying to bring you into revelation that you're done, you just don't know it yet. (laughs) And I went, I'm done. But see, when we become who God created us to really be, the people out there are going to run. Because when, when we really represent Jesus, when we rep- really represent the kingdom, they're going to want what we've got. See, as we rule out of Zion, this is where ecclesia really functions. We toss around the word ecclesia. How many people hear people talking about ecclesia and you go, do they know what they're talking about? I ask that question a lot. But I'm just going to close in the next few minutes with this because I want us to have a working definition of ecclesia. And this basically, I just wrote it this afternoon based on what I have studied and learned to operate in for the last probably 20 years before it was a buzzword. Ecclesia. A legislative assembly called out for the purpose of bringing forth the government of God into the earth. It is an embassy to do the bidding of the king so that the authority of the king's domain is protected, advanced, and established on earth as it is in heaven. See, when we see the world around us, just going mad in sin, absolutely mad, insane. At my age, I would have never in a million years believed I would have seen the transgenderism going into our schools the way it is. We have an attorney at our church who fights for parents to not lose their children to the government. Because they've bought a lie. Even been, how do I want to say this? Even been verbally influenced. I'm trying to choose my words very carefully. Verbally influenced by the way they teach and the way they present things. And when the parents don't agree with the transition, they're taking the kids out of the parents' home. It's happening all across our nation. I could have never imagined that's where we would be today. But see, we 
as the church didn't want to get involved when they first started doing some of this stuff. Well, it's their life. No. Yeah, it is their life. But do you understand that their freedom to choose is now impacting your freedom to choose? Their freedom of speech is now impacting yours. They can speak. You can't. In fact, you may get pulled off of YouTube because of my message. Sorry. But see, we got to get to the point where we don't care. And I'm not anti-people that are struggling. Not at all. But see, the love of God compels me to speak truth. Because to not speak truth means I'm saying they're okay going that way, even though I know it will mean an end of destruction. I'm not willing. I'm not willing to go there. See, the love of God compels us. When we understand ecclesia, we understand that we are hearing what God is saying. And then we're loosing what he says through declarations and decrees. We're loosing what he is saying, what he has said in his word, written, the Bible, the scriptures, but also what he is saying prophetically. I love when I see a house beginning to move and open up for the prophetic word of the Lord to come forth. See, we've got to get to a place where we can hear what the Spirit of God is saying. You're his sheep, right? You're blood-bought, sons and daughters of the Most High God. If so, then you, say me, can hear the Spirit of God. A lot of us were taught we couldn't. I was. And then I went... Wait a minute, this verse says, if I am his, and he is mine, and I'm his sheep, and he's a good shepherd, I'm going to hear his voice. So when did that get pulled out of the Bible? And then I realized I've been hearing them all my life. See, we've got to hear, and when you hear, then you go into prayer with a greater level of authority. You're not, you ask God, what are you saying? God, what are you doing? What are you wanting to do in this scenario? You ask and you ask and you ask. But when you hear, you say, okay, God, I come into an agreement with you. And I decree that what you have said, it is coming to pass. And nothing can stop it. Nothing. But see, we've got to get a boldness inside of us. And yes, I have asked the Lord, can I be a little more calm, cool, and collected? Not possible. I mean, it's just not. I would go on some prayer assignments with some national leaders, and we were doing prayer events all across the nation. And some of them are just, I mean, y'all hear Dutch sheets, right? I mean, he's just calm, cool, collected. And so he's, one of, he's the one leading these meetings and some other guys that can be calm, cool, collected. And I'm like, I'm going to be calm, cool, and collected. I can deliver what God has said, and I don't have to be. I'd step up there like this, ah, and I'd walk off going, God, do I have to be that way? He goes, it's how I made you. I went, okay, 
then, you know, it wasn't an easy death, but I died to it. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not the most feminine thing to go, what? But I'm a warrior. I can't help it. I've had to war through so much. We've got to learn how to be warriors. Not be afraid of being loud or quiet, whatever it is, however it is he made you. Don't judge the way you deliver by the way somebody else delivers. But get into a place where you ascend the hill of the Lord, you hear the voice of God, and you release it without apology. Can I just break off of us the apologetic thing? Well, I'm sorry, but if God said it, I'm not sorry. If you don't like it, I don't really care. <laughs> I'm sorry. That just tells you how old I'm getting. Okay, uh, there you go. So, ecclesia ruling out of Mount Zion is us living in the upon this rock. Upon this rock. I actually ended up with two slides in there. Go to the next one because this is out of Matthew 16. 16 through 19. The revelation of Jesus as the Messiah, he says, upon this rock. It's not the rock of Peter. It's the rock of revelation. Upon this rock, that you know who I am, that I am the Messiah. I am the King of kings, the Lord of lords. There is no other one like me. I am your Redeemer, and I am your King and ruler forever. That's who our Messiah is. And he says, upon this rock, the gates of hell will not prevail. Because see, out of that revelation, Jesus said, I'm going to build my what? What am I going to build? Ecclesia. See, we changed that word to church. Actually, King James changed that word to church. Go research it. It's Ecclesia. And they understood what it was. It was a governmental operation, a legislative branch, if you will, to rule and reign. When we get this, when the church gets a hold of that we are the highest government. We'll say that again. Do you believe that? The authority we carry is higher than Washington, D.C. In the spirit realm, we carry a higher authority. And what is true in the spirit is stronger than what is true in the natural. When we get it, the gates of hell are not going to prevail. We're going to lock and unlock some things. Over Pooler, over Savannah, over Southeast Georgia, there's some stuff that needs to be locked, and there's some stuff that needs to be unlocked. Amen. You need to stand up and say, that isn't coming into my city. Amen. I wish I'd had this revelation 30 years ago. I just pray we're not too late. 
And I don't believe we are. I have a full assurance of faith that there is a rising remnant that gets it, is standing on behind the rock of revelation and looking out and saying, gates of hell, you're not prevailing against us. And we're going to rescue some people out of their, the very grip of hell. And we're going to unlock some gates for the king of glory to come in. And we're going to lock some gates and kick some booty out of here. Yes, I did say that. But we got to kick some things out. We've got to stop tolerating what God doesn't tolerate, and we have to advance the kingdom. So it's time for us to step into the fire of the Lord, to become his passionate, righteous ones, prepared, positioned, and postured to rule and reign with Christ. Prepared. We're prepared by revelation. We're prepared by the discipling of the, of the Lord upon our life. We're prepared by those that have been placed in positions in our life to help train and equip, prepare us for the work ahead. We are positioned. See, this is one of the reasons we have the fivefold is the fivefold leadership giftings help position people where they need to be positioned to do what they need to do. Otherwise, you're just kind of jumping from place to place doing whatever looks good at the moment. And we've all done that. But postured, what about that word? That our heart is properly postured in surrender. Because, see, when we're properly postured in surrender, that's when boldness comes. See, boldness doesn't come when you're not surrendered. Boldness comes when you're properly surrendered. There are things that come out of my mouth that in my natural being, I would never in a million years. There are places I've gone I would not have gone. But God prepared, positioned, and postured my heart to say, Lord, it's not my life, it's yours. Not my will but yours. See, I believe God wants to do something here at Relentless. This place isn't big enough for what God's going to do here. It's just not. But that's okay. You can go to multiple services. I know you. nobody ever likes to hear that. Until God shows you what and how to move. But it's not big enough. But there is a refining that is coming into this house. This afternoon as I was, actually I was closing up my computer and ready to go upstairs and get ready. I heard Holy Spirit say, Relentless Church, I've called you to be a beacon in this region. Not simply a beacon of my love, but a beacon of my kingdom rule, which flows out of my love. Many have misunderstood my kingdom rule and have operated out of misconceptions and misunderstandings of my pure and perfect love, mercy, and grace that opened the door for my purposes to be thwarted and the kingdom of darkness 
to be fortified against my rule of righteousness, justice, and truth. Before I go on, I want you to understand, when we have a misconception about God's love, we actually can open the door for the enemy to advance. And I'm going to say that concept, what the Lord said to me over this house, is not unique to this house. This is unique to the majority of the church in our nation and even in our world right now. We have misconceptions about God's love. Gross misconceptions. And he said, go with me as I bring you into greater and greater understanding of the power of my love to overcome darkness and push back the gates of hell. My love is true. My love is just. My love is pure. My love is holy. My love is righteous. My love is steadfast, uncompromising, and it is relentless. In the days of shaking and the resetting of this nation, I have called and am positioning you to be a pure beacon of love, light, and truth for those who were shaken to come and find a place of safety and sure footing. Be sure, be very, very sure that the foundation upon which you stand personally and corporately are of me and not constructed out of religious systems and structures that have left too many shipwrecked, disheartened, displaced, and disillusioned. I am shaking everything that can be shaken. And this shaking shall reveal what is truly of my kingdom and what is not. Do not resist the shaking, but yield to me in the shaking, so that I might remove from you anything that is not of my kingdom. As you yield to my shaking, you shall find yourselves strengthened, fortified, and properly postured as a beacon. I have called you to brightly shine into the darkness as a guiding light for those who were lost, seeking, shaken, and desperate to find the way in the midst of what shall be in the days ahead. Fear not. Fear not. Only keep your eyes fixed upon me, stand steadfast upon my word, and by my spirit to see the wonders that I shall do in the days ahead. How many of you have heard the words about shaking? Now, we know we've been through shaking for the last several years, but how many of you have heard the words of the shaking coming this fall? If you haven't, I'll make sure you've got the prophetic words. And I, I bring this up not because I, I certainly don't want to cause fear in anyone. But the Lord said to me several months ago, your job is to fortify my people that in the midst of shaking, they do not fall. If shaking comes and you're not aware, what's going to happen? 
you're going to stumble. You'll fall. You'll shrink back. So I'm here to say it's not about... Seek God about what you may need to do in the natural to prepare for shaking. I'm not into that, okay? I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. That's just not my point. My point is press into the Lord now. Secure your home in the spirit. Secure your faith. Be sure that you are found in the faith, that you are being found faithful, that you're being found responding to God, not to crazy. That you're found knowing God has said, yes, shaking's coming. It's not going to be pretty. I'm going to say until next spring. It's just what I'm hearing. It's what I'm hearing from other prophets. Don't fear. Don't fear. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Make your confession sure. Stay connected to the body. Stay connected to leadership. Stay connected to people. Don't isolate in this season. Isolation in the season of shaking can find you picked off. It's not a time to be isolated. It's time for us to ascend the hill of the Lord. Find our place in the fire and glory of God. Let him write his words upon our heart so that we might stand steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the grace of the Lord. This house is a beacon. And the shaking and the testing that's coming in the nation is going to cause this light to shine even brighter. And those that are shaken in the middle of the shaking will come running to find a place of sure-footedness among you. It's time. So, Father, I thank you for this house. I thank you for Kyle. I thank you for the leadership here. I thank you, Father, for the sound of worship. Increase your expressions of sounds of worship in here. Worship more often. Saturate the atmosphere with the glory of God. Expect to see the unexpected. As shaking comes, expect faith to arise and you'll release the word of the Lord and signs, wonders, and miracles shall follow. Expect the manifestation of my glory to be seen among you and upon you. Expect to see the harvest as you go out and about. But also expect to see some wandering in through the doors, not even knowing why they've come. And expect to see my love perfected in you. Allow me to shake your perceptions and conceptions of love. Allow me to release to you a divine revelation
of my love that is pure and holy and uncompromising. And hear me when I say to you that to love me, you must love my ways and hate what I hate. Lord, I ask that you would teach us to love you with all of our heart. That you would reveal to us more and more of who you are. Lord, I pray for the divine encounters that would break off things that have held people captive. Mindsets, belief systems, wounds, hurts, disappointments, disillusionments. God, we've all had them. And we nearly all still have them. But Lord, we're inviting you. Put your finger on the things that need to be dealt with. Lord, I'm saying put it on your finger on me. There's no end to what you want to do and need to do in any of us. But Lord, I'm, I'm asking so that in the days of shaking, we will not be found shaken. But that we will be a people that have been to the mountain of the Lord. That are so filled with your love, with purity, passion, and power. That is those who are shaken come around. We will have your word of love and of life and of liberty to deliver to the broken and to see your kingdom advanced. Father, I pray for those that are deep in the heart of those that are here today and those that are online those that they're weeping over and yearning to see them return. Lord, as you've done even in so many recently, do it again, God. Bring the prodigals home, first to you, then to us. Because it's more important, Lord, that they return to you than to us. Or if they return to you, all else will heal. So, Father, do in us what only you can do so that you might do through us all that you desire to do so that your kingdom is advanced and you receive all the glory, the honor, the praise, the power, and the dominion forever and ever. We love you, Lord. We bless you. We thank you.